Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I want to begin today's episode by giving recognition to a woman you may have never heard of. Her name is Jody Ewing. She had been a reporter for many years for a Sioux City, Iowa newspaper when her editor gave her an assignment that would change the trajectory of her life. He asked her to begin writing about Iowa's cold cases. To say that Jody Ewing took her assignment seriously would be an understatement. An article about her in the Des Moines Register by Mike Killen tells us that Miss Ewing eventually became so bent on helping achieve justice in each case that she sleeps little, began the Iowa Cold Cases website, keeps record of her growing case files, makes her search for answers her full-time job, sometimes working up to 16 hours a day, and speaks almost exclusively of the cases that she researches. Reporter Killen interviewed Ewing's sister, Kim Behrens, in 2018, who had this to say about her sister Jody's mission. Quote, I've never seen her have this kind of passion for anything else. This is all she's known for 10 years. If you go to her house for coffee, she goes through the pile of cases and starts telling us about them. To be honest, I ask her, can we talk about something besides cold cases? It's very personal to her, end quote. Each and every case she investigates is personal to her. And it's not just a handful of cases, but several hundred. Families upon families thank her on Facebook for being that champion for their family by continuing to remember, to not let the public forget And one of those cases that she has relentlessly pursued is the case that we're going to cover today. This is the story of Cecil Travis Gaddy. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast. And to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, 
sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. So... I know we talked about the Crime Door app last week, Maggie, but yes. I, looked, I looked through it even more this week because, like we said, I'm obsessed. And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm on so many true crime Facebook groups, and, like, all the time I see people put posts up and they're asking, like, hey, can you give a podcast recommendation or what are some cases that are interesting to – like look up a uh, PS side note. Thank you so much. To yes. All towns out there. Maggie knows exactly where I'm going with this. Who mention our podcast when people are looking for recommendations. Like I'm giving you a round of applause. Yes. It makes me so happy. That means the world to us. But what I was going to say is on that app, Crime Door, you can also find new podcasts too. I know we mentioned last week, obviously, we're super excited that we are listed on there. Mm-hmm. But there are also other podcasts that maybe you've never heard of. And even, like, obviously, the the app lists some well-known cases, but there are also a lot of lesser-known cases that are mentioned on there. And that's why I think that app is so awesome because, you know, Maggie and I, we always try to cover those cases that maybe don't get as much publicity. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that that fact is so great about that app. And there is an option. You can always contact the creators of that app under the settings and you can recommend some cases as well. So I have a sneaking suspicion that this app is just going to grow and grow and it'll be like the next big thing for all yes. true crime obsessed people. Yeah. And like you said, I do like that it, like highlights those lesser known cases because I feel like not that her case doesn't deserve justice, but just for example, like John Benet Ramsey, like that case is on there, but right. I feel like we've heard and read so much about that, but there's also cases that maybe you've never heard of before that are on there. And that's really cool too. Absolutely. But like be warned because you'll probably become addicted to the app. Yes. Like just a warning. <laughs> now, <laughs> Our case today, Maggie, is not yet listed on Crime Door, but I have sent in a suggestion, just like I mentioned, and I'm sure that those who work for Crime Door have been inundated with case suggestions. I'm sure, yeah. Yes, but I've at least done some small part in suggesting this one and in bringing it to your attention, Sleuthhounds, this week, and I'll go ahead and tell you, Maggie and you, Sleuthhounds, that the case this week is one for which... I haven't really heard any coverage on major podcasts. And sadly, that is often a double-edged sword for podcasters Mm -hmm. because obviously the purpose of a podcast is to inform and to keep the audience's attention wrapped. So what a true crime podcaster is often tempted to do is to cover the major crimes because right. those are the ones that people are searching, discovering, and listening to. And they've also had a lot of coverage period. So there's a lot of resources to right. pull from. 
That's right. And, you know, a lot of those big name cases are what allow a podcast to quickly grow an audience. Mm -hmm. And so there's that, I guess, that desire, obviously, to, to continue to grow your audience if you're a podcaster. But I mentioned it a second ago, Maggie and I feel like we have a far greater mission than just to be popular. I mean, obviously, I want us to be popular, but yeah. our mission is greater than that. And that is to tell the stories of the missing and the murdered in hopes of finding answers, right? Yes. And the reason I said it's a double-edged sword is because at the same time, obviously, we want to grow our audience because the more people who listen, the more who might potentially be the someone who knows answers or know someone who knows answers. And so that is why we sometimes throw in those better-known cases like Alyssa Lamb or Dyatlov Pass or Ketty Murders. But then we try to balance it with cases like Brooklyn Farthing, Molly Mm -hmm. Miller and Colt Haynes, or the subject of our case today, Cecil Gaddy. And Maggie, I would not be able to live with myself if I didn't cover a case because I couldn't find as much research on it, you know, or I would, mm-hmm. I was scared of it being a shorter episode than normal, you know, and so replaced mm-hmm. it with a better known case. I would not be able to live with myself because that family grieves no less than any other. So Sleuthhounds, we have actually talked about um, like this in depth because we do have a lot of um, suggestions that come in, uh, but some of them like are not very well known. And as a result, that makes it really hard for us to make a 30 to 50 minute show for you guys. So Allison and I have actually bounced around the idea of starting a Patreon and doing maybe something with like many episodes at a certain level. Um, and we want to know, is that something you guys would be interested in? Yeah. So we'll post something like on social media just to find out, like, are you okay? Because again, I do not want to lose sight of our mission. And that is helping these families find right. answers. Like, would you rather us have longer episodes and some shorter ones, you know, to help us achieve that mission? Or would you prefer if we keep the ones posted weekly are longer episodes, but we do have something like a Patreon where you can subscribe and you can get even these shorter episodes as additional ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah. like I said, I mean, it's hard because I know that that family doesn't grieve any less than, than other families, you know, whose stories are covered in the media. Mm -hmm. And I know that their prayers for answers are no less important than cases where there's more information. In fact, these families, if we're honest, need us more. Yeah. They need, they need their, the story to be heard. Yeah. Right. So I'm this week, especially making a plea to you sleuth hounds, please don't just listen this week. Please post about Cecil Gaddy's case on your social media and Facebook groups. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, because this is one of those cases that has not gotten the coverage that it deserves. And the more who hear, the more push for answers there will there will be, the more who will be pressed to remember, and then the better the chance at finding those answers that this family needs. So here is Cecil Gaddy's story. So Cecil was, in my mind, one of those rare people who can like 
look at things and just miraculously understand how they work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's weird. I can kind of do that with people. Like I can talk to somebody and I can kind of understand. Well, because they're like thinking. Yeah. yeah. But I can't do that with things. Like right. Rodney will try to tell me all the time, like how an engine works. And he'll be like, oh, the pistons do this. And then it, yeah. you know, causes. And it's like, I'm listening but it still doesn't register in my mind. It's like, you're like, uh-huh. Right. I'm honestly trying to understand. Yeah. But for Cecil, it did register. And he worked as a farmhand. He also repaired small engines. And he understood computers in much the same way. And he would repair those for people also. Well. I know. So he just he just got how it worked. Like this rational mind that this young man had. He just understood. But what's odd and rare is that he also had this appreciation for music, right? And so for the arts. So this mm-hmm. rational side. Yeah, because usually it's like one side of the brain or the other. Not, right. not both. Yeah, and he's got both. And he wasn't just good with his hands at making those repairs on, like, small engines and computers. He also was self-taught at at guitar, and he would write songs. So, again, like, as an English teacher, I appreciate that mm-hmm. artistic side. And it was, like, no matter what, though, whichever side of his brain he's using, either by helping others out by computer repair or with his music, he always brought joy and you can actually see it in every picture that's taken of Cecil. Like in every picture I saw, he's it, there's none of that like half smirk smile. Oh yeah, like you're too cool to really smile, right. or you're just gonna smirk. Yeah, no. Like in every every one, he shows this huge beaming, full teeth showing smile. Aww. Yeah, but something did happen when Cecil was 16 that changed his life and the lives of those who care about him. It was a moment that was actually tragic at the same time that it highlights what a caring person Cecil was. And I know that doesn't make sense yet, but you'll see here in just a second. So... Cecil was actually a passenger in a van along with one of his sisters who was pregnant at the time, his sister's husband, and another friend when the van's driver lost control of the vehicle. And when the van began to roll, Cecil, thinking only of protecting his sister and her unborn child, shifted his body so that he would take the brunt of the force. I know. And so there's, you know, that just shows how caring he was. But as a result, he was sent through the front windshield and he actually suffered a broken back that left him as a paraplegic. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, like, that's why I said it's this moment that's both tragic and yet at the same time it highlights. Just how amazing he was. Yeah. And so... I know there's a lot of confusion out there about like, um, like paraplegic versus quadriplegic, but paraplegic Mm -hmm. is when you lose sensation in your like lower extremities for Cecil. So waist down. Correct. 
And so like having once been mobile and active, I'm sure that paralysis from the waist down was so difficult to adjust to. Yeah. And especially as a 16 year old. Yeah. Devastating, I would think, as a 16, uh, at any age, but especially at 16. Right. And as much as we all know that, you know, what you look like, what abilities you have or don't have, that doesn't change your worth. Any sort of change in your own abilities or looks, it's always going to be the root of insecurity. So as much as we know that doesn't change our worth and who we are, we let it affect our sense of worth and who we are. Yeah, like gaining weight. Right. Like something simple like that. Yeah. And with spinal cord injuries, actually, I I did a little bit of research. And according to the University of Pittsburgh's Medical Center, there are also a lot of, like we just said, psychosocial issues that are attached Mm -hmm. with those injuries. So paralysis, it feels like a loss for those Mm -hmm. who experience it. And it leads to like doubt of your own productivity because you're, you can't be as independent as you once were. Well, like, think about Cecil. He's 16, so, like, he should be getting his license. And I'm mm-hmm. sure he struggled with all of that. Like, that, you know, like, loss of independence. Mm-hmm. And it can lead to depression. Like, questioning of life's worth. You know? And that's so sad to say. But I understand where that mm-hmm. depression comes from, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know... And you're going through this process of relearning how to do things that somebody doesn't normally think about. Yeah. You know, like how to dress myself. Yeah. How do I take a shower? Right. Yeah. That process and like regaining of some semblance of independence and self-confidence. And I'm honestly in awe and inspired by those who go through this process and they find their happiness again. Like they're Mm -hmm. able to look at it not as, you know, a disability, but just as this is life now. So there's a family back home in Eastern Kentucky that um, went to church at my church for a while and they moved, but they've moved churches, but they are like the world's sweetest family. And one of their daughters was in a car accident, I believe, um, that left her. She's in a wheelchair now. Mm-hmm. And she, I think, was super young, maybe a little younger than Cecil when it happened. I'm not 100% sure. But she is like such a light in the world for overcoming like adversity and mm-hmm. persevering and just staying, you know, like pushing. We talked about that last week, pushing through your struggles, but also embracing the struggle that you're in and, you know, like, I mean, she's just like a little light in that community and she's always been somebody that I've looked up to. And so I hope that maybe Cecil found that at some point. He did. It sounds like, and I'm sure it was a process that took Mm -hmm. time, but he did from all the research that I conducted find happiness again in his old pastimes. And I think luckily for him, a lot of his old pastimes involved working with his hands. Yeah. Which he could still do. So he could still create this beautiful music with his guitar. He could still make his family smile. And he learned to use his wheelchair to go everywhere that he did before. So he was like navigating this journey with gusto. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and he did have faith and family to help him, obviously, along the way. But only a few years later, on January 31st, 2004, when Cecil Gaddy was 19 years old, another tragedy struck, one from which there was no healing because Cecil Gaddy's life was taken. And this was a tragedy for which his family is left still searching for answers. So in the years between the accident, remember he was 16 when that happened, Mm -hmm. and Cecil's death at age 19, he had moved from Murray, Iowa, to Osceola, Iowa. And this wasn't a big move. Osceola is only like 11 to 12 miles away. Okay. So not bad, like a 20-minute drive or something. Exactly. It was exactly a 20-minute drive. So, and this is like 17 to 18 kilometers for our international listeners. So, yeah, super close. And even though Osceola only had about 5,000 people as a population, that was still a big difference compared to the population of Murray, which I researched, and that's only around 750 people. Oh, my. We thought we grew up in small towns. Right. So even though Osceola is still small, it's actually a lot bigger from than the town. Yeah, that from the town. yeah. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. So Cecil had actually found himself a house in Osceola, 315 East Shaw Street to rent. And this house had a ramp. So it's perfect for him in his wheelchair, easily accessible. And according to nearly every source that I saw, he kept this place spotless. So lesson that I need to learn from Cecil because my house is a mess. Yeah. So... Yeah, yet another thing that Cecil is far better at than I am. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, though, Maggie, when he moved to Osceola, he also began to hang out with a crowd that his family came to believe was no good. Oh, no. So first, it started with the missing items. His family reports that when Cecil began hanging out with this new group of friends and I'm using air quotes here because true friends don't hang out with you only because what they can get from you right but this group of friends uh, when they were around Cecil's things began to disappear namely personal items and his pain medication oh yeah so these people are just not good news no and it wasn't that Cecil had just misplaced these things because remember he is super organized and tidy 
So like he would know where everything is. He sounds like Anthony kind of like everything is in a place at all times. Right. And one source I read even said that there were times when so much of his pain medication had been taken that Cecil wouldn't have enough left for himself. Okay. He needs to get some new friends. Yeah. Like these newfound friends took advantage of him for his money. Apparently they asked for money all the time, his medication. And there is nothing that angers me more than someone who will take advantage of someone else's kindness or their innocence. Um, Yes, 100% for sure. Like I cannot stand that. And I'm sure, again, because I like to psychoanalyze, I'm sure that because of Cecil's injuries he was self-conscious about making friends yes even though like we said it doesn't change his self-worth but I'm sure in his head it did Mm -hmm. yeah maybe it's like like trying to overcompensate right and so in his mind but he's already this like kind person anyway but you never see the good in yourself like other people do though I know And about a week before Cecil's death, he called one of his sisters and he said that his friends had tried to convince him to build a meth lab. What? Yeah. And he had, of course, told them no. Okay, good job. Yeah. But when he spoke with his sister, he was actually worried Well, they don't sound like the best people. I know. And he told her... About how they had been using him for his medication, for his money. And he basically said to her, like, this final request that they made of him, he was done. Right? So, he's going to break all ties with them. But he actually admitted that he was worried about retaliation. Well, again, I kind of understand that because they don't sound like very nice people so i'm sure they had a reputation in town and i mean i guess if they're using him for his medication which obviously they are not prescribed you know so if he if Mm. they're using him for drugs then they're not going to be happy anyway that their drug supply is cut off right he says i'm not hanging out with you exactly and I want to emphasize here that this is one of those things where hindsight is twenty twenty, because there is no way that Cecil nor his sister could have known whether there would actually be repercussions, nor what form it would take. Right. And I feel like, again, we we rationalize. So, like, I'm sure that they both were like, oh, it won't be that bad, like, Nothing's going to happen. They're just all talk, like that kind of stuff. Right. But on January 31st, 2004, firefighters responded to a fire at 315 East Shaw Street. After the fire had been extinguished, they found Cecil Gaddy's body face down on the bed in the back bedroom. Aww. And when State Fire Marshal Inspector David Linkletter began his investigation, he decided that because the fire started on the living room sofa, right, they were able to determine Mm -hmm. that that was where it started. And because Cecil Gaddy was a smoker, 
the fire marshal was like, well, it's likely that he just went to bed without fully putting out his cigarette. And so they ruled the death an accident. So they're coming to put out the fire and they, in putting it out, discover him deceased in bed, face down in a back bedroom. This makes, I don't, I don't think the death, the accidental death thing could be it because I feel like it takes time for your house to burn down from a cigarette. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, but I, um, would assume that he would have woken up right and i mean while he was paralyzed he was super independent right and i'm gonna get to some of those things that you mentioned because there are a lot of inconsistencies in this case where i agree with you i'd be hard pressed to say that this was an accident oh lord so while authorities argue otherwise Cecil's family swears that they began telling law enforcement immediately that they suspected foul play. So like authorities are like, well, we didn't know at the time, you know, that there could have been foul play. But Cecil's family is like, "Mm, we told them from the the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Like not only because of the phone call, but also because of some odd details, Maggie, concerning the crime scene. Okay, let's go. First is his wheelchair. Now, I don't know if, like, Cecil had a normal place where he would store his wheelchair when not in I'm assuming he probably does. I would think so. Like, I would imagine. he seemed very organized. Yes. That wherever that place would be, too, Maggie, it wouldn't be far out of arm's length. Right. In case you needed to quickly do something. Right. Because what if there's an emergency? So even if he's sitting on the sofa or he's lying in bed, I would think his chair would be right there beside of him if he needs it. That only makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? Yes. So if this were an accident, as it was ruled, caused by Cecil accidentally not fully extinguishing a cigarette before he went to bed, wouldn't you think that his wheelchair would be right beside of him, right beside of his bed in the back bedroom? Right, because how else would he have got there? But it wasn't. Not even close. His wheelchair, Maggie, wasn't even in the home at all. And this is a home equipped with a ramp, remember. So he needs the wheelchair to get from point A to point B. Correct. Like going to the bathroom, going to wash his hands, going to make food. Yep. And his wheelchair that he needs for his daily life is not in his home. Correct. Instead, his wheelchair was found out in the yard, several feet away from the house and covered with about eight inches of snow. Bizarre. Yes. So at the time, of course, the fire department who was responding to the fire, they went immediately to do their job of putting it out. So I can't blame them for any destruction because, you know, that they did of the scene because they didn't know that this was the scene of a potential murder. Exactly. Right. They're just responding to the fire. They're probably not even thinking, oh, why is a wheelchair in the yard? Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was left there by somebody else. Like they didn't even know who lives in this house that they're responding to. But I am telling you right now, there is no reason Cecil's wheelchair, if this were an accident, would be left in the yard in the middle of winter. Yeah, exactly. And it's had to have been there for a while because it has eight inches of snow on it. Right. 
So he would not, if this were an accident, have left his wheelchair outside, crawled into his home, decided to smoke a cigarette, then crawled from the living room to the back bedroom and left his wheelchair. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it does not make sense. Right. But if there had been footprints in the yard, like if somebody had carried Cecil in and like left his wheelchair purposefully far out of his reach, Mm -hmm. those footprints were long since trampled by the firefighters. Mm. So, again, it seems odd that all of this happened right? His wheelchair left outside and this on the very night that there happens to be a fire and his means of escape is far out of his reach. Yeah. Seems very coincidental. Yes. And the second odd detail, Maggie, is the death certificate because it lists total body burns as the immediate cause of death and did not mention smoke inhalation. But so that doesn't make sense to me. Right. So I, of course, I asked Rodney, you know, if this were yeah. possible that he could have slept through the fire. Because, you know, you mentioned like I would imagine it would have woken him up. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought the same thing. And so I was like, can somebody sleep through a fire? And he well, actually, isn't smoke inhalation how most people die in. It is. Yes. And he actually said that smoke inhalation can knock you unconscious. And so, generally speaking, like you just said, Maggie, most people actually die from smoke inhalation, which can kill you in a matter of minutes before dying of burns. But his death certificate didn't have anything about smoke inhalation. Correct. It did not list smoke inhalation as the cause of death. It listed total body burns as the immediate cause of death and without smoke in his lungs as a cause of death, then the fire would have woken him up. Also super weird that he's laying face down in the bed. If he knew there were a fire. I'm so glad you said that because that is a problem that I have about this scene too, because you would think if he died of total body burns, right? Hence the fire would have woken him up. Then yeah, he would be trying to escape. Exactly. There would be some sort of attempt at escape because had he woken up, you would think he would have been found in the floor trying to get to safety, like get out of his house, like found near a window trying to open a window or found mm-hmm. near a door trying to get out. And had he been knocked unconscious, which would explain why he would be on the bed rather than the ground, then there would have been smoke in his lungs. But none of that happened, though. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what's problematic about this case being ruled an accident, in my opinion. And the death certificate does say that Cecil Gaddy died within minutes. And it also notes that the certificate of death was produced before an autopsy was completed. And I wasn't sure if that was like the normal order of things. Mm-hmm. You know, like, is there normally an autopsy before the death certificate? You know, because it lists your cause of death. 
Right. And how yeah. Know your cause of death without an autopsy. Exactly. So I did a little research and I did find though that because the autopsy can take several weeks, especially if they have to do something like a toxicology report, that the death certificate is often signed before the autopsy. Huh. And then the autopsy is then used to like confirm the cause of death that's mentioned on the death certificate. But I also found that if the autopsy contradicts the death certificate, then the death certificate must be amended. And okay, since, that was what I was going to ask. Yeah. And since his death certificate has not been amended to mention smoke inhalation as a cause of death, that means the autopsy did not reveal that. So just so far... I'm just definitely not agreeing with anything investigators are saying right now about Cecil's death. Right. And it being an accident. Yeah. I know. And one of Cecil's sisters had told Jody Ewing of Iowa's cold cases, quote, the Clark County police named it an accident pretty much the same day and there was no investigation and they could not find the cause of the fire end quote so they were able to say it started from the couch but they've never said what caused it like it being a cigarette is pure speculation oh they just say it started from the couch and I would assume, though, that they would be able to tell if there were some sort of accelerant put on it. Yeah, because normally and, they do say that in investigations. Right. But sadly, it seems that the investigation, which was long since ruled merely an accident, will remain closed until some new evidence is presented to reopen the case. Current Osceola Police Chief Marty Duffus, who was not the police chief in 2004 when this um, tragedy happened, said in an interview with Aaron Brilbeck of Channel 13, quote, I hope I don't sound glib, cold, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, if those were the concerns, they should have been brought up while the best possibility of some sort of evidence may have existed, end quote. Hold on. That comment makes me mad. Yeah, because didn't they say from the beginning that they told investigators they thought that foul play was involved from the beginning? Yep. And the family still maintains that they did say that there was foul play and no one listened. Well, no, I'm mad. I know. And law enforcement did question the friends all of whom said that they hadn't seen Cecil the day or the night before the fire. Okay, so let's just believe them. Like you're going to say something different if they are involved. In 2015, so much more recently, two of those friends and some of their acquaintances were believed actually to be involved in another crime, a double homicide in Osceola, and they were arrested But the charges were dropped on all but one of the four who were arrested. And I wasn't able to find if the one who was charged with the crime was one of Cecil's friends or was one of the acquaintances. So that's I'm not Mm -hmm. naming any names here. But I did want to throw that out there. 
But Chief Duffus basically is intimating that, you know, too much time has passed to discover any physical evidence. And that is partially true because the site where the home stood is now just an empty lot on which two boats sit. Hmm. So what they actually need, Maggie, are people. Yeah, I was going to say, people need to come forward. Yeah, witnesses to something seen or something overheard. And I don't know about you, Maggie, but I, I still have hope. You know, we've discussed the Amy Maholovic case as one of our, that was one of our first episodes that we covered. And that case is now a little over 31 years old because it happened October mm-hmm. 27th, 1989. And there was just recently, like last year, an ex-girlfriend who came forward with incriminating information about her ex-boyfriend that I'm praying leads to closure. Yeah, it's never too late to come forward with information on an unsolved case. That's right. And so seeing that case have some sort of new information gives me hope for Cecil Gaddy's case also. Mm -hmm. And because there isn't a whole lot of information about his case, I just pray that there were at least some fingerprints taken from the scene, like from the wheelchair or something as well. Mm -hmm. The state fire marshal's office, even though the family believes that they didn't do a full-scale investigation that the case deserved, they say in an interview with Channel 13 that they actually spent months investigating Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that there's some part of that that's true. That yeah, maybe, maybe they have some tiny piece of evidence. Right. Something usable. And I don't know how long the structure stood before it was demolished. Um, I will tell you and we'll post the pictures. The house did look pretty gutted on the inside. And then what is striking in these pictures is that here's this house burnt from the inside out. But glaring at you in pristine condition is Cecil's wheelchair sitting just feet away from the ramp. That makes my stomach turn. Mm-hmm. And like I said, sadly, until someone comes forward with new information, this case is considered closed, ruled an accident. But I think we both agree it. I don't yeah, think it's an no. accident. Yeah, like I'm sitting here shaking my head. No, I don't believe it was an accident. So here's my theory, and I'd love to hear if you agree, Sleuth Hounds, if you agree, Maggie. I think that Cecil Gaddy's death was some form of retaliation. Mm-hmm. With the ruling that the fire started on the couch, but no clear reason as to what started it, and the only answer being offered that of Cecil not having properly extinguished a cigarette. It doesn't make sense to me why he would then be on the opposite end of the house. Cause you would think like if a cigarette, you're not going to leave it sitting on the couch, Mm -hmm. put it in an ashtray. Yeah. And if he's a clean freak, that's what I was going to say. He's definitely putting it in an ashtray. Right. And so the only way that makes sense to me, an unextinguished cigarette is if he fell asleep on the couch, but he's not found on the couch. He's found in the opposite end of the house in bed. Yeah. And it also doesn't make sense to me 
if that were the case, that he accidentally started the fire there, why he would be in his bedroom, but his wheelchair be outside of the house. Yeah, like how did he even get there? Right. So that is why, in my mind, this is foul play. Someone else started the fire and then moved the chair outside so that Cecil wouldn't be able to escape. Now, what I can't figure out is why he was face down on the bed and not in a position that revealed an attempt at escaping the burning home. So could he have... Okay, so the death certificate said that he was killed by burns. Correct. Correct. I mean, could it have been they moved his body there after he was dead? It could be. Like, he could maybe... But then I don't know how they would do that without getting burns themselves. Oh, yeah. Unless, I mean, maybe there were people at the time who were like, maybe they noticed on one of their friend's hands that they had these burns and they were like, how'd you get that? You know what I mean? And they Mm -hmm. come up with some sort of an excuse. So, I mean, that could be the case. Or I'm thinking, was he like threatened to remain lying there? Like, Was he drugged? Well, I wonder that too. Like, was he somehow incapacitated? But I feel like that would have been, like, revealed in an autopsy. See, I would think so, too. But, and even if he's threatened to remain lying there and he's awake or even incapacitated, why was there not smoke in his lungs? Like, why was that not the cause of death? And so there are just all these questions in my mind. I'm also curious if he had a cell phone at the time because this was 2004, Yeah. So if he did have a cell phone, was it ever found? Were there call records that were examined that revealed any clues? I also wonder, you know, this is a small town. Mm -hmm. It's super small. So did anyone in the small town see Cecil with that group of friends before the fire? You know, like, was there there a a usual spot? Exactly. Like a usual hangout where, you know, they were normally together. But then on this night, Cecil was noticeably absent or maybe all of them were noticeably absent that night. I just wonder if enough questions were asked. I can't get over the fact that, like, to me, it's obvious, like, glaringly obvious that he did not die natural, like he did not die of natural causes, and like I definitely think that his body was somehow moved to that back bed. Like that, in my mind, that's the only thing that makes sense how he got there and how he was laying face down. Mm-hmm. Right, without smoke in his lungs. Yes, I know. There has to be answers to these questions, mm-hmm. and so far, I've seen no explanation that you know, fulfills that in my mind where I'm like, oh, okay, that could be it. Yes. I also wonder whether these quote unquote friends attended Cecil's funeral service on February 5th, 2004. And if they did, if they sat together, how they acted, there are just too many questions for me to easily deem Cecil Gaddy's death an accident. And that is why, even though it has long since been closed, I had to cover this case. So I want to know, what do you think, Sleuth Hounds? Loss is a hard emotion. It's one we try to understand to move beyond, but it's a long journey. 
I think one of the best descriptions of loss can be found in the poem For Grief by John O'Donohue that I'd like to share with you, Sleuthhounds. When you lose someone you love, your life becomes strange. The ground beneath you becomes fragile. Your thoughts make your eyes unsure. And some dead echo drags your voice down where words have no confidence. Your heart has grown heavy with loss. And though this loss has wounded others too, no one knows what has been taken from you when the silence of absence deepens. Flickers of guilt kindle regret for all that was left unsaid or undone. There are days when you wake up happy, again inside the fullness of life, until the moment breaks and you're thrown back into the black tide of loss. Days when you have your heart back, you're able to function well, until in the middle of work or encounter, suddenly with no warning, you're ambushed by grief. It becomes hard to trust yourself. All you can depend on now is that sorrow will remain faithful to itself. More than you, it knows its way and will find the right time to pull and pull the rope of grief until that coiled hill of tears has reduced to its last drop. Gradually, you will learn acquaintance with the invisible form of your departed. And when the work of grief is done, the wound of loss will heal and you will have learned to wean your eyes from the gap in the air and to be able to enter the hearth in your soul where your loved one has awaited your return all the time. Let's help Cecil Gaddy's family find that safe return in their hearts to his memory by knowing that his story is safe in our hands, by knowing that they can rest because we will take up the charge and continue to share his story this week and always. Anyone with information about Cecil Gaddy's case is asked to call the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation Special Agent in Charge, Mike Motzinger, at 515-725-6010 or FBI Special Agent John Moeller at 712-258-1920. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. week.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.